In episode 136 of Circles Off, we're joined by the co-founder and CEO of Establish the Run, Taylor Cabby. Taylor talks to us about his life as a professional poker player, transitioning into the business side, card runners, daily fantasy sports, and then moving on to where he is now with Establish the Run. All of that and more, this week's episode of Circles Off starts now. Welcome to Circles Off, episode number 136, right here, part of the Hammer Betting Network, presented by Pinnacle Sportsbook. I'm Rob Pozzola, joined as always, Johnny from Betstamp. I'm drawing a blank. I actually don't even know any number 36s. Yeah, 36 is tough. Zach, you know any? I know one. Uh, An- was Anton Strawman 36? Ooh. Okay, I don't know if you'll remember. So the one I do know, and only because I caught the highlights last night, is Matt Zuccarello. Yeah. yeah. Matt Zook? Now, am I wrong? Sorry, I'm going to alienate so many people out there. Didn't Dmitry Yuskevich wear 36? Didn't Carl Gunnarsson wear 36? 36, like really old Leafs defenseman. I think Yuskevich had to retire because he had like blood clots or something. Dmitry Yuskevich. Anton Strawman was 36. Yes. Wow, so I, I did nail it. Never- Anton Strollman, and then, sorry, who did you say, Zach? Carl, Carl Gunnarsson. Gunnarsson. Both guys who went on to the Blues to have better careers than with the Leafs. Classic. Classic Correct. Uh, I just pulled up. Only 19 players have ever worn 36 in the NBA. One of them is Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart. 36. Is one of them Shaq? Shaq for one year. Yeah. Or 36 as well. What's our Shaq here? Shaq's wearing 34 in front yeah. of me over here. Yeah, guaranteed. I like to, to hit his head every now and then. I don't know why. Wait. Is this episode 135? No, it's 136. <laughs> am, I, am I out to lunch? No, it's 136. Yeah. Are you sure? I, I, I don't know. We have screwed up the episode before. And by the way, there, one of our funniest YouTube comments ever is like somebody who, who watched that full episode and responded in the comments like, you guys don't even know what episode it is. How can I trust your opinions on sports? Bro, he, I might, might, we might have to cut this out, but this is, ep- this is gonna air as episode 135. No. No, False. it's 36. Oh, I, I messed up so badly. The only reason I know- No, Rob put the wrong air date on the sheet. I did. I put Airing the, Thursday, January 18th. If you remember, we were gonna. There was gonna you, be a possibility that okay, we were, we're gonna flip we're episodes. In, we're in. We're in. We're in. It's one, we cutting this out or no? No, no. This is totally. Leave it in. in. All right. Might as well leave it in. So uh, episode thirty six, <laughs> and we messed up the lines, and we're leaving it in because we don't we don't void our bets. We don't we don't no. void our errors no. when we mess up. And you can't ask for a refund from us and, either. And you know who else? You know who else will honor the lines that they have posted? Always honoring the lines. Pinnacle Sportsbook, the world's sharpest sportsbook. Honestly, we preach it every single week here on Circles Off. It's because we both really believe in Pinnacle. Look at Johnny looking beautiful in his hat over there. Pinnacle hat. new hat. A supermodel with that Pinnacle hat right there. But honestly, NFL playoffs are around the corner. I got my Dak Prescott helmet in front of me. I got my Cowboys shirt on. I'm excited. I'm looking at the lines for the NFL this week. You know who's got the best price in market? on either the side or the total in every single game, that would be Pinnacle Sportsbook. If you're serious about sports betting, you gotta be line shopping. You gotta have Pinnacle in your portfolio. There's a reason they've been in business for the past 25 years. They're a very customer-centric book with low margins. So bet smart, bet Pinnacle, your trusted sportsbook. And of course, you must be 19 plus, not available in the US. Please play responsibly. And if you do sign up to Pinnacle in Canada, use code HAMMER as it does support us here on Circles Off.
We're now joined by our guest this week on Circles Off. He's an ex-professional poker player. He previously founded and ran Card Runners, which was an online poker training community. And he also co-founded and is now the CEO of Establish the Run, ETR. It's Taylor Cabby. You can follow him on Twitter at Taylor Cabby. Taylor, thanks for joining us. Hey, great to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem at all. So we like to start with the journey into betting with every single one of our guests here on Circles Off. Yours is a little bit different because you started in the poker space rather than immediately in the sports betting space. But let's get it started. If you can share your journey uh, into the betting space and how you originally got started in poker. Yeah, for sure. I was uh, like, I'm 40 years old now. So when I was in my early 20s, late, late teens was when like the sort of online poker heyday was going on. And I was just super into poker, um, you know, played at home, played with friends, played with family. When I got to college, uh, there was just, you know, everybody was playing online poker. It was all over television. I think, Rob, you played poker back in the day around that time, too. So I'm sure you and pretty much anyone that was around knows what it was like. Um, you know, I was just one of the people that happened to take, a, you know, a small deposit online and slowly build it up into playing at the high stakes and, and just sort of make a career of it. Um, you know, I never thought that I would be in gambling, the gambling world as a career. I was, you know, again, I was in college at the time. This is like 2003 to six or so. There weren't even really that I knew of like online poker pros, like certainly not in like 2003, like, you know, in 2005, it started to become more of a thing, but like it's, it's sort of, so how did I get into gambling was just, I liked gambling and I was good at it, you know, really. And, and, you know, by the time I, you know, graduated college, um, you know, I was playing the highest stakes poker on the internet, uh, you know, 10, at the time, the highest stakes were maybe ten to $20,000 buy-ins, like cash games. Um, it, it got a little bit bigger than that, but typically that was where I was playing. And, um, you know, just pl playing for a bunch of money and, and, and doing well. And then, you know, eventually, I, I don't know how much we want to go into it now, but I, I transitioned into more of the business side of things. Um, and that was how Carbunners got started. And, and that's sort of been the rest of my career is more, more business oriented and, and gambling. Yeah, so I'm certainly interested in... in the start of card runners and how that transition happened. Um, was it like a very gradual transition? Did you, did you cut off the poker play and focus on the business side or was there overlap between the two? You can, you can get into that. Yeah. And I think one of the things to really emphasize for at least my career has just been like, I had absolutely no idea how this was going to play out. Like I, I, I was just trying to figure it out as I went along. So as I was playing poker as a junior in college, um, I didn't, I thought I was going to get a job. Like, honestly, this was like, I was playing like, you know, five and $10,000 buying games. I had done well, but I didn't know anybody else to play poker for a living outside of like seeing, you know, people like Phil Helmuth on TV. And I, I just like, it just didn't seem like that was me. So I thought I needed to get a job and I didn't have an internship. So my friend, uh, Andrew Wiggins and I, um, I'll try to make a long story short, but I was approached by some other people to start like what is basically would have been the same thing as card runners. And it was some like live players, uh, online players, and they were like wanting me to help out and sort of be involved. And I was down for it, but then it just sort of sputtered and never went anywhere. So I was like, well, shit, I don't have an internship this summer. I need to get a job. So I should start a site, a, a, a business. And like, I can put that on my resume. And that that was literally how it got started. Like it was, it was, it pro I probably spent like two hours thinking about it, like maybe. And then you know, over the course of like four to six months, Andrew and I, you know, put together the site and uh, launched it. And then, of course, once it once we launched it, it became successful pretty quickly. And then it was obvious. OK, like just try to keep doing it. But it wasn't like, oh, I got to 
I need, I need to like do this because I'm not going to win at poker or, you know, it's just, there's no plan other than like, I need to put something on my resume and I'm probably going to need a job. So yeah. And then, you know, card runners itself was, you know, basically I would say the preeminent place to, to really learn how to, to get actual poker pros teaching you how to play poker. And that was myself and other people. And, you know, we would record videos of our screens and talk about our thought process. And like, it was not like, bullshit it wasn't people that were like just talking about it or playing low state and not that there's anything wrong with playing low stakes but it was actually people that had like success like gambling and um you know that was for year for years and years i was the ceo while also playing poker but just over time it became clear i should spend more time on the business because one i wasn't enjoying it more and, and two i thought there was probably more financial opportunity in it yeah it's a really interesting story i'm interested in um, the impact and maybe the reception that you faced when you started Card Runners. Uh, generally speaking, we see a lot of in the sports betting space nowadays a lot of sports betting products that are launched, and if they are useful and viable and giving actionable info to betters, they tend to come under a lot of criticism from the experts in the space and the sharp betters in the space. Did you face any of that in the poker community? Was there anyone that was like very outspoken as to why would you be putting poker training out there um, and like eroding the edge of some other pros? Did you face that reception at all? Oh yeah, all the time. And first of all, I think that's a very legitimate criticism like as a starting point. Um, like it's a question if you're good at what you're doing, which I was like, nobody would have said I was not a winning player, if not one of the best players at, at that, at that time. So nobody was like, Oh, this guy can't win. This is bullshit. They were like, why are you doing this? And like, my answer was, it would be like, I don't know, you know, like it, it was probably not the smartest decision in, in some ways. Like I probably should have at a minimum waited until I was having a harder time winning. And like, I'm not saying I would have done that, but I'm saying like objectively that would have been a smarter decision um, I would say my belief is that everybody is operating in their own self-interest and a lot of, and I think that's totally okay. As long as you're transparent with, with what you're doing and, and, and your goals and, and who you are and, and you're not misrepresenting yourself. So for me, like when I look at the, the, the hate, uh, you know, per se that people get for, for these products, a lot of it is other people acting in their own self-interest. They're, they're saying, look, I don't want the games to be harder. I don't want poker to get harder. I don't want sports betting to be harder, whatever. And that's completely valid. At the same time, if you have a profit motive for, for running a business or just a desire to do something because you want to do it, you should operate in your own interests, right? So so for me, I took it personally, I would say sometimes, like, like a long time ago. I mean, I was like in my early 20s and I didn't like seeing people say negative things about me. Mm -hmm. But as time has gone on, I've sort of realized like I'm going to do what's in my own interest. And I think other people should do the same thing. So, um, it, it, the, the, where I draw the line is, is misrepresentation. Um, and actually for, for me slash us and my companies, it's like, I don't want to do something that I don't think is also in the customer's best interest. Like I just don't, there, there's businesses out there that could be great businesses, but they're just not helping the, the customer base and at least in terms of my ethics and motivations. But yeah, this is kind of getting long winded, but like, I, yeah, yes, I did face that. And I think that's it's, it's, it's valid, honestly. I'm going to pick up on that a little bit later on when we talk about establish the run as well, because I think that there's some parallels we can draw there. Uh, but th more of a personal question here. Uh, Johnny co-founded Betstamp. Uh, it was his first company that, you know, he's he was running as a very small team. Actually, wasn't my first company. Oh, really? Oh, no, 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 no. no. It was my first. Well, let's, it was my... well, let's, let's get into that. <laughs> 
No, no, no. I I had like a a small little company I started one summer to just like you know like a little marketing company. So, but again, not. It was never going to be anything real, but uh, it was a legit corporation. That's I'm, I'm learning something new. I never yeah. knew that before. So, so his second company that he co-founded, uh, for me, the Hammer, I was I was part of the founding team here, and, and now I run it as the CEO myself. Um, and these, these are new experiences for us. So I'm curious on a personal level for you, um, having just only the poker background, coming out of school, starting a business, did you find that, like, was it a seamless transition for you? Did you find it inherently challenging? Uh, what was that experience like for you in the early going? Yeah, I would say the first is that I was very fortunate to have been like found extreme product market fit, like right when I launched the company, like people, it was a gold rush for poker. So there was such a high demand for the the product that was being offered that it overshadowed all of the shortcomings that I had. Like I have no knowledge about running a business and like I, I didn't know what I was doing at all. So like, yes, that was very challenging, but if you're in the right market, and, and you have like directionally the right like strategies and, and execution that can overcome, you know, just the ignorance or naivety of being of being inexperienced. And that's what I would say it was like for me, it was like, I don't even know what to do. I don't know. This product doesn't even really exist out there. We're going to try to figure out what we need to add to our business and where we're going to take it. And it's very hard. Like if, you, if you've never done it at any business, much less that one you're currently in. So. I think, and I still struggle with that today. I, I think any biz, business owner who doesn't is lying to themselves, and and um, you know you just have to keep working through it and understand that you're that you're going to have to learn over time. What, what were you uh, What were you studying in school specifically? Uh, I was I, I was a finance major. Finance major. So I, I, w- I was going to ask. This is something that a lot of people ask me. Not really related to betting at all, but w- did the things you learned in school, like as a finance major, as a business student, I guess. Was that impactful in actually starting a business? Like, did you actually draw back on that or did you just learn the majority as soon as you started the company? Uh, I would say no, none of it was helpful at all. Um, I, I, that's maybe a, a little exaggerative, but like at the time I looked at school and I don't really advocate this to other people, but like I looked at school as a means to an end. I was like, I got to get a degree so I can get a job. And it was like, well, how do I get a degree? Well, I got to get, I got to pass these classes. Okay. Well, how do I pass the classes? I studied the night before the test and I get the grade, you know? And it was like, that was stupid. Honestly, I should have, I should have been like, Hey, I can learn something here, you know? Like, and, and like, that's why if I could go back to college, I would, I would like go there with an idea of like, I'm going to make the most of my, I'm going to get the most out of it. And like, I just didn't do that. Now at the same time, I was also playing a lot of cards, you know, having fun, et cetera. So I don't know. To, to me, I had one class. There was like an entrepreneurship class I took. The professor helped me out when I was starting Cardrunners. And he was a great, he is a great guy. I'm still, I still talk to him today, but like, yeah, it wasn't super helpful. Interesting. No, I, mean, I, I agree. I agree with that completely. The It's not that you don't learn anything. You do learn a lot of things in terms of refining your skills and whatnot, but the actual uh, business stuff you learn in business school, like it, it all gets thrown out the window as soon as you start your own thing. There also training more towards like how to fit into a corporation as opposed to how do you like build up your own thing that could then hire some people and scale it up. And then once you realize that these things are not related, you re- you really do realize like I'm on my own. You could almost learn more from just like watching YouTube vids and shit. I, th- I well, think it's, go ahead, Taylor. Yeah. Just one quick thing. I took this like uh, options and trading class. I, I can't remember exactly what it was called. And one of the first things was they were touting like the efficient markets hypothesis. Like, and it was like the professor was like, 
you can't, no one can win because all everything is priced in. And this is like this, not just for, for the market, but for all of, of these types of markets. And I was like, how am I winning at poker? I, like, I didn't understand. Like, I, like I, it can't possibly be true, you know, like, and I, I don't think it is true today, but like, it was just all this like academic, like theory and, and, and that, that's not everything, but like, there's just so much of that in college and, and it just, it just wasn't for me. That's funny. That's crazy. Like if, Efficient market hypothesis doesn't actually mean no one could win. In fact, it means the opposite. It yeah. means you can win a lot. It just means that you can't win in certain ways. Like, oh, I'll just buy low on this stock and sell it when it goes higher. Like, yeah, no shit. That's not that's not a strategy. But in general, like, yeah, you could. It doesn't mean you can't win. It's yeah, you crazy. want to capitalize on stuff that's not priced into the it, market, but then eventually it becomes priced in the market, and the yeah. people who 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 beat the market are the ones that generally. So, win. how were you actually beating poker? Like, what was your edge? Um, just it wasn't I, that sharp at the as, time, or were you as, one of the best? As crazy as it sounds, like I think I was one of the first people to just realize like you should drastically play different according to the table position, and you should be three betting a lot. Like it, this is back in the day, and I don't even honestly I don't play poker, so it could. I'm sure it's this is all solved, but I was playing extremely loose and aggressive in late position at the table, and playing very tight otherwise, and. I had I, I had and have very strong emotional control to where I don't ever go on tilt. And I'm also very good at knowing when I have an edge. So if I don't have an edge, I'll just quit and it doesn't bother me at all. I can I can just look at it and just walk away. And I think that's honestly summing every summing like 10 years of playing poker up could be summed up to those those principles and just sticking to it over and over again. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um can when did you when did you realize you lost that edge in poker? Probably 2009 maybe or so. Like I started Carter in 2005. No, I, I but to be clear, I knew that I was not as good in 2008 or something as a, as I was in 2005 relative to the competition. But it was clear to me by like 09, maybe a little later that I was like, no, this is I don't think I have a future playing. Did you value um, the other resources in the space at it, like between 2003, 2009? So we, we are relatively similar in age. I've been through the poker boom, just as you described for me. And this will lead into another question shortly. But, uh, you know, I got my hands on play poker like the pros, Phil Hellmuth. I used to buy like Phil Gordon's little green. But like I used to just read and consume everything in the space from that was put out from anyone that I watched play poker. The company's dream. Yeah. But the company's if, if, dream. If somebody played poker on TV and I could watch them play poker on TV and generally they were winning, I would buy their book and I would read it and I would try to learn. And just like little things, I was trying to pick up on as much information as possible uh, and then utilize that in my own game. Did you take a similar approach or did you just carve out your own niche and your own style? So from I would say 2001 to two or so, this is before online or before I ever played online poker, up until maybe 2005 or six, that was me to a T. Like I read every single book in the poker library in the library at my hometown. I read everything you could possibly read on the internet. Read the forums daily, consumed every bit of information possible. Like and then when I started card runners, like it, there's just not enough time in the day to to have that obsession about poker while you're also running the business and, and playing at the high levels, you know, like you can't do all those things at once. So I'd say that that stopped around then. And it's no surprise that my, my skills eroded at that point. Yeah. So the, the question I wanted to follow up with there, and maybe um, 
maybe this isn't true and I'm misreading the situation and this is based off my past experiences, but I always found that growing up, uh, poker players were very receptive to learning and they tried to consume as much information that was out there. And there was a lot of people that were willing to admit that like, hey, I have a lot of room to grow my game. I don't know everything. In the sports betting industry, it seems to be the complete opposite to me, where I think the vast majority of people that I've talked to even if they are long-term losers, they actually still believe that they've figured it out. Now that's just my, you know, read on the situation and, and you can feel free to disagree, but in the card runners, like you, you said it, card runners, great timing, it was a good product, a lot of people willing and receptive to learn. Do you think that there's ever going to be that big of an appetite in the sports betting space? Like for example, could an online sports betting training platform ever exist in a capacity where it just blows up in the market so that this is a lot to unpack on that on that but i would say that i would agree wholeheartedly that any poker players anyone that's successful at a high level you just have to have the willingness to admit when you're wrong to improve your skills however that may be like you know get education or you know software there's some form of improving your knowledge right i think that's exactly the same at the high levels of any discipline like out there. I think in sports betting, it's the same thing. However, you just said yourself, there are people that maybe they're losing sports betters that say that they think they have it figured out. Well, I tell you this, there's a lot of losing poker players that think they have it figured out too. There's a lot of people everywhere that don't know what they're talking about that, ha that think that they're very wise. Right. And, and I think that if you ask, like, I, I guarantee you, if you ask Billy Walters or whoever else um, the top sports betters are in the world, they would have the same mentality that they have to continue to educate themselves. And as far as the training side aspect goes, the big difference between sports betting and poker is that sports betting is a connected global market. So there is not enough room for many, many people to thrive in sports betting to the extent that a poker pro could. Like if you're if you're at a poker table and you're like there's the, you know, you're this ninth best player in the world and they get eight guys that are better than you are sitting at the table, like you're screwed. But you could be an objectively terrible player and be playing with worse players and still be have a lot of room to make money in that environment. So it, it lends itself better to education because it's not there's more room for more people to make money. Like sports betting, like the largest entities are just hoovering up like much more of the money, in, in my opinion. So oh, that's just, fair. Yeah. So yeah. basically you just have to be the best player at the table and then you you win. You don't have to be the best player in the world. Whereas in mm -hmm. sports betting to scale it up, I guess you're, you're, as long as, I mean, if you have certain notes that nobody else has, sure. Yeah. But that's for rare. the most part. Yeah. Yeah. But then you, but, but then you don't need to be the best sports better in the world. It really just comes down to like, if you have the outs like that, that's what matters in that situation. Like, yeah. I mean, obviously if you're betting like, you know, NFL, you know, t an hour before kick, like, yeah, you gotta be good. But like, like. The, the, the what actually drives the value is like game selection, you know, of, of getting that, getting the outs. And so, so the edge that you're giving up by, ex, you know, explaining this potentially, if you are that guy on the top level of sports betting is just massive because it's literally just educating the entire market instantly, that, you know, where it's not the same in poker. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I agree with that completely. Um, So we'll shift to establish the run now. Um, We know you, you moved into that, but for before we even get into what that is, I just want to ask you, like, what's what's better? Like, what was more fun playing poker and grinding out money like that or running the business and making money from that? Definitely the business for me. Why? Um, 
I think it comes down to, well, okay. So I tell people all the time when they ask me if I still play poker, I don't like the games that are like sort of fixed and like the rules are the same. And there's like an objectively correct strategy, like a, like a GTO strategy. Now I think there's times you're supposed to deviate from that. Like, you know, but if, but what, but if you're depending on your opponents, but like, I like games where it's a little more unsolved and evolving and like business is like that to a T because it's always changing. There's always new factors coming in. The rules are changing. There's new opportunities that come up for the same businesses that can go into new lines of business. Poker is just like get really, really, really good and like slowly improve your skills at that, at that thing over time and like grind out your edge that I don't like as much. The second thing is, is that like I get like, especially as I get older, I want like better work-life balance I want to try to make money while I'm not working. I want to try to have you just you know st- keep stress down, like things like that. Like and and I think that like poker is and, and gambling in general is is pretty pretty tough for that. So I, I tend to go more on the, on the other side. All right, fair enough. So then I guess tell us the story about ETR. Like how did that get formed? What's the story? Yeah. Um, so I, after I'm going to cut out like years because I, I started a DFS site which failed uh and and you know isn't which wasn't one? great which one Taylor I played on draft, all this is draft day draft day okay yep. yeah you, def- you definitely didn't play on it no I listened I played every DFS you site. played draft day DFS yeah, draft day 100% I had it oh. yeah. you banked Johnny, put, you. put put some respect on draft day DFS all right like that that <laughs> was, that yeah. was a that, that, it was the fourth biggest site. We, we sold okay, it okay. in, in all right, 2014, all right? Listen, that's on me. That's on me. I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't even legally able to play during the DFS boom, so I didn't have any of those accounts. So give me give me some slack on that. You, the I'm way just, you were I'm, talking the way, about it was like you were like a 25th biggest DFS site. And then I'm like, there's, and the way Pizzola answered, he's like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, there's no way this guy, he's just saying, he's just nodding his head. I for for what it's worth, I should have said from the start. I'm a big fan of the show, and I like I like hearing you guys banter. So I feel like I can just come in and start firing stuff off. So feel free to give it back to me. You know when I, I'm oh, sure. Oh, buddy, it's of course. No. But but like, <laughs> but um, yeah, no. I'm just, and I'm also like, I'm really competitive. So the fact that we didn't have a great outcome to me to this day still bothers me and makes me just feel like it wasn't great. So if I talk about it, I, I just kind of painted in a negative light because that's just how I feel about it. But like. I started a DFS site. This is before DraftKings was started. It was 2010. We started working on it. Like th- this was early and it was the right, it was the right bet. You know, it just didn't work out. Um, but so long story short, it didn't work out. We sold it in 2014. And, but I knew DFS was going to get big because I just DraftKings and FanDuel raised a ton of money. So I quit or we, when we sold it, I just played DFS for a living for like four years from like 2014 to 2018 ish. And um, so that is relevant because obviously with Establish the Run, we're in the, heavily in the DFS and fantasy space. So like I, I had a very good knowledge of what it took to be successful as a player. And, and I knew the people that were in the industry. My current business partners, Adam Levitan, Evan Silva, and, and Andrew, who I mentioned earlier, um, was also playing DFS for a living. But I knew those guys from the industry, just having been a part of it, traveling to events, things like that. So like that sort of led the back that was the backdrop of, Hey, like maybe there's a business we can start in, in this industry, but it wasn't just like, Oh, I'm going to go straight from poker to like a, like a DFS content site. It it was, it was a little more winding. So was your, was your site? um, Okay. Actually, here's my question. You mentioned you started before DraftKings. Obviously we know DraftKings right now valued, you know, multiple billions. Um, How, 
close were you guys? Like if you, if you zigged here when you should have zagged, whatever, like, would you actually see a chance that you, you could have been like the next DraftKings or the first so, DraftKings? No, no, only because I wasn't a, a t- talented enough entrepreneur or knowledgeable enough at the time t- to even know like the strat- the strategy that you needed to take was a I'm going to go big and go go big and raise as much money as possible and I'm going to either be a multi-billion dollar company or be out of business. That w- that was the right strategy. I had only run my own small businesses at that point in time and just didn't have that in me. And, and frankly, that's not how I'm wired either right now. I would never I would never start a business like that because I just it's not, it's, it's too stressful for me to think about like, you know, 90% of the time you're going to fail and like 10% you're going to be you know, worth hundreds of billions, hundreds of millions. Does it's that just, strategy it, still work right now? For what? Just in general, like the strategy of essentially operating a negative uh, cash flowing company, raising a bunch of money, ha- having a high likelihood of going bust, but trying to become a unicorn. Do you think that could still work in today's day? Oh, a hundred percent. I would say, I would say it's that that's what the entire venture capital industry is built off of is identifying those things that are too risky for most investors to, to want to back and giving them risk capital to go big or go home, you know? And like that, that is, it's not for me. Like, I, I, I mean, I, I do some investing a, a bit in it, but like, I'm not, um, wired to want to be an entrepreneur running my business that way. Fair enough. Okay. So your, your strategy is more like, make money, run a good quality company that's going to make money in perpetuity and have something that just slowly builds and builds brand. Is that correct? It, it dep- I mean, my strategy is to identify businesses where that strategy makes sense. So like if it's in, and, and like oftentimes content businesses, like media companies are oftentimes that way. It takes a really long time to get them going. It's, it's not easy. It's, like look at Barstool. I mean, like I've I've taken a lot of inspiration from Barstool and what we've done at, at ETR. And, you know, those guys grinded out for like 10 plus years before they even got the chair in an investment. And were, you know, it just a lot, it's a lot of work, you know, eventually. But then once you get it going, it, it can become can become a great business. Obviously, there's tons of other examples of things like that. But yes, that's that that is how I prefer to operate. Um if 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 given the choice, I guess, and then and I, I have the choice now. Yeah, of course. And uh, we'll, we'll parlay into that then. So you guys are obviously running ETR right now. And uh, when I first learned about ETR, it was uh, strictly actually just a DFS. And, or I mean, at least in that my opinion, football what I used it for was like fantasy football slash DFS and giving out whether it be just like player projections or listening to a couple of the shows there with Levitan or even just following Levitan on Twitter and he, seeing like who he thought was going to have a big week. I would use that in uh, my season long fantasy. So now I know ETR is a lot more than that, but uh, I'll leave it to you to kind of give like an overview of what you guys do now and how it transitioned. Yeah. So my opinion, and this was like a, this is a general, like not just gambling or fantasy opinion is that a huge lacking thing in the world is it with the rise of social media and all this information that's coming at your, at your fingertips readily, it is very difficult to know who you can trust. So like we've never had access to more information, but it's also never been harder to like to actually know like who you can believe. And I felt like that, and as someone who had been gambling at very high levels, you know, for a long time, that's the name of the game is like finding good information and that you can trust, whether it's like people you're working with or it's the, the you know, the projection system or the information, whatever it is, you have to get to that point. And I felt like I had figured it out on some level because I'd done it successfully at DF, in DFS. 
And I had talked just through my, you know, connections with Adam and, and Evan. At some point in time, I was like, you know, you guys, like they, Adam was at DraftKings and Evan was working for NBC, Roto World. And I was like, you know, we could bring, we could start a business and nothing, our only goal is just to put together the best information and just find all of the things that I use and, and Andrew uses to be a DFS player and just put them under one place and, and only care about credibility and trust. And it's a higher price. Like, you know, a lot of the information like Adam was putting out was like free. You know, he just put it on the DraftKings blog, you know, and it's like that's not the highest and best use for like the best gambling information. It shouldn't just be sitting out there free. It's I mean, it's it's I mean, you could do it, but you're not it's not the way to optimize the, the value of the information. So for me, it was take get great information, great people, build a brand that people can trust and then combine that with high quality content that people actually want to consume. Like, you know, there's so much dry content out there. That's something I think you guys do really well here. Is like the, the show is actually fun to consume, even though it's got good information as well. And put it all together, and it's it's like you know part analytics, part the data, you know, like the hard predictions, but it's also you know fun and, and entertaining. When did the transition ha- happen from strictly fantasy and DFS into the uh, online sports betting space as well? I so I was actually well before I say this, um, is there anybody here that's ever been a uh, sports book consultant? Um, just want to make sure. I... <laughs> That's how I could tell you listen to the shows. Uh, well, I, I, I didn't say it this time, so we're not putting it on the board this time. So, no, wait, is it shows that we got to get the one Zach, like they have at that, those like auto, um, like auto factories where like the parts factories where they say like days without an accident and then it like yeah. beeps when it does it. We have to put a drop on. Let's do that. All right, all right. I, I just want to make sure that I'm speaking to other people that are, you know, like myself that have consulted for sports books. Um, no, I... I was I was working at a at a sports book, uh, Rush Street Interactive. Um, they have like the Bet Rivers brand and some yep. and other Sugar House brand. Um, but I decided that I was going to leave to start establish the run. Um, just yeah, I, I and then I was actually consulting for them for a little bit when I started establish the run, which is the lame way I made that joke. But like, um, yeah, I, we start in twenty eight, yeah, 20, 2019, Um, we we just decided to put it all together because I was talking to Adam and Evan and they kind of felt like they were getting screwed in their contracts and could make more money and you know, this or that. And I said, well, let's just, I mean, not I, but like we collectively were like, we probably could do this better. And and that's when we got started. In the space nowadays, uh, I think ETR is, is really well known uh, for the player prop projections, projections that are put out there every week. Uh, they have a, a pretty big influence on the props market. A lot of people waiting for those projections to drop. Um, can you walk us through like the process in developing these projections. Uh, you obviously playing DFS for a living. I don't know if you were making your own projections or um, if you were sourcing them or whatever, but what are the, the like what are the factors that contribute to the accuracy of the projections? Yeah, I, I'm not gonna have the greatest answer in part because if I did, I probably wouldn't wanna say it exactly here just because I think that like, just like you guys probably wouldn't share all of your, the way you're approaching your origination for, for stuff, but but also it is really I'll share mine for the right price, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I don't have that much money. But um, so I, I would say I would say the truth of the matter is in, in, a broad, in broad strokes, like putting together very, very smart people is probably the most and, and, and lining incentives so that everybody's motivated and willing to, and, and able to work together to, to achieve a common goal. Myself and my partners have been doing this in different ways for 15 years in the fantasy space. And some of the other guys have been creating projection systems for their own play or working at other sites. 
things like that for a long time. These are people that are like, they know what they're doing. And then it's just giving the resources that they need to execute on that. And, and like, so, so what is it like, well, there's following information closely. It's everyone thinks that like projections is all about like just some algorithm. A lot of it is like, you know, knowing what or predicting what is going to happen. It's subjective. And like, there's, there's like manual inputs and there's automated inputs and it's very challenging, but ultimately our goal is to be the best at it. And like, I think that sounds silly to even say that, but like, I think most people that are putting out content and, and projections, their goal is to make money and like maybe get an audience or sell shill for affiliate or who knows what their actual goal is. But like, we want to actually be the best at like projecting how, how well these players are going to perform. So we measure it. And so we, you know, for what's, what, where are we wrong? And like, how, how can we improve that? And like, who do we need to hire to help in certain ways? So it's just like a mindset, I guess, of, of getting really smart people and really, really caring and working over years and years. Now the projections did stem into giving up prop picks and, and specific picks. Um, some might call it touting. Um, was that a tough decision for you? Like, and, and did you know that you would be met with criticism for going that route? Yeah, I mean, it it was a tough decision only because I wasn't really sure how it would go or what the right decision was. Like, I don't know how it would play out. Obviously, people were giving us shit even before that. I mean, DFS, oh, you're a DFS tower, oh, you're a season-long fantasy tower, whatever. Yeah, fine. Like that, like <laughs> that's that. Yeah, we are. You know, we have, like we sort of joke that we're tops. Okay, it's it's okay. Like we're not. I I truly think a lot of that is virtue signaling, where people are trying to project to other people. You know, you're not doing things the right way. I'm doing things the right way as a whatever it may be. It could be just someone that's not even in the gambling space. Just like they're just they have a normal job. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like absolutely nothing wrong with criticizing people that are that are doing things if you just don't agree with it. So I'm not trying to say that that's that's all wrong or anything. But anyway, yes, we thought that and we knew that our information was better than the market. So we knew that people were already using our, our projections to bet player props profitably, including ourselves. Like we were using them too. Like we, 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 we all love betting. Like when we get, when we can get the chance and it was just clear to me that there was a good opportunity to monetize the information in a, in a higher, in a better way by providing picks. And to, 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 again, to be, to be clear with this, this is like a relatively small part of the business. Like we're, we're a fantasy and DFS oriented site first and foremost, but like, it was sort of like, Hey, like there's an opportunity here. Let's just see how it goes. We're already projecting all of these players because we have to project them for DFS and we have season long content, you know, day in and day out. So let's just see how it goes with the with the props market. And that that's kind of how we got got started on it. Earlier when we uh, asked you about card runners, you talked about when you were younger that uh, the criticisms used to bother you a little bit or at least got to you. Um, maybe, I believe you said that when we were about half an hour ago. Do the criticisms still bother you in, in any capacity? Yeah, a little bit, I would say, but like, I think I'm a little separated from it too, because I'm sort of behind the scenes and like, and like, I'm not like, I'm not the guy out giving out the picks or I'm not on the podcast or, or whatever it is. I'm on the business side of things. And, you know, if I'm being honest, I think that's a lot easier than having your name and your face attached to the criticism. And I, I have a lot of empathy for anybody, including people on our, our, on our company, our company that are facing just like direct hate, you know, like whether it's founded or not, it's tough to see. So um, yeah, it's still gonna bother anybody, and it, but it's, it's probably a little easier in my spot. 
that's Pizzola here. He's the guy. A, a little bit, yes. He's got to deal with all the stuff. I still get some some stuff just because I'm on this podcast. But holy, is it much easier being behind the it, any screen. any sort of product change or change in direction for Betstamp? Because I'm like the public facing guy. No, this I guy will. gets reamed. I didn't get any reaming. Pizzola's got to get uh, an award for that one. Uh, Taylor, you mentioned something that um, you know I, I think I brought up in the past on this podcast. But in regards to like touting stuff like that, what a lot of people. I think should really realize is that everybody is selling something no matter what it is as soon as you tweet anything no matter what it is you're selling something if you're attacking somebody like why would somebody be giving out free picks because they're trying to build their own following and then that has value they're basically selling you information that they're giving out in exchange for your attention uh, a lot of a lot of this is just about like influence and different things that you you gain on social media just growing a following that you can later monetize or maybe you never monetize it but it's still worth something. You're still selling a relationship, friendship. Now you have trust with these people. So when somebody's selling a product for actual money, it almost it almost uh, appears as if they're in a completely separate tier now where, oh, because I'm actually selling this for money, then I'm a bad guy. But in reality, anyone who's giving out like free picks, it's the exact same thing. You just really need to focus on that. Everyone's selling something. We're selling something. We, we do this podcast. Why? I don't know. A, sure, it's fun, but we also make money off this and are hoping to one day make money off this or are hoping to, you know, build relationships off this, you know, see ourselves more in a positive light, all these different things. It's crazy how, um, well, as soon as you attach a dollar figure to something, Taylor, like it just changes. So I, I applaud that you've been in that game for a while. Yeah. And, and I would say too, along those lines, I've seen the common complaint from people that are strictly professional betters that, sort of like speaking down to people that are like doing what you said, selling something. And and honestly, most people selling something are full of shit. Like I wanna be really clear. I'm not like supporting people that are selling shitty products that don't really help you. But the truth of the matter is, guys that are pro betting professionally are not good for the market either. Like, you know, if, if I'm the guy that has a bunch of uh, running a syndicate or a better, you know, moving the market in some way, I'm making it harder for everybody else in the market because when I, get more accounts, I get more influence, I, I bet more money. That's just pushing all the lines towards an efficient point and like taking money out of the literal pockets of anybody who was going to bet the, the game before that happened. That's How is that any different than taking money out of the pocket of the player who's paying for picks or paying for content or paying for something, software, whatever it may be, as long as you're not misrepresenting yourself or misleading something. You're, you're Everybody is operating in their own self-interest and – you know, I, I know that I'm maybe oversimplifying that a, a no, little bit, no, but, but like the, the, it remains true. Like everybody's selling something. You just have to, if you dig deep enough, you will figure out what it is, but everyone in some capacity is operating in their best interest and selling something. Well, okay, let's drop back to a, a, a recent example, right? Cause I, I want to get into this conversation a little bit about the ethics of, uh, or morality of, of touting and producing content that could be detrimental to, to some section of the population. Now, obviously, a lot of times it is the pro betters who are like, why are you doing this? Why are you releasing this? Um, I, recently, via Twitter, uh, there was Sal, Sal Vetri that was out there that put in like this week 18. Yeah, before Pizzola buried him and then... Well, well, yeah, so he put out this week 18 incentives thread on Twitter of like, here are all the incentives. And I personally can't stand that stuff for a different reason than other people. Like there are some of the, some of the betters jump in and they're like, why would you put this out before there's a market open on this? 
which is a fair and valid point. For me, it's like, why would you put this out when it actually has absolutely no utility to other people? And I'm basically calling into question the way that he's building his brand. What are your overall thoughts on on the ethics of, of producing content in the space? I know that's a very you know broad question, but I'm curious in your opinion on this. Yeah, so the first thing I would say is like, I don't think I have the any standing to be too, too critical of anyone else because I'm sitting here operating in my own self-interest by selling information that makes the market sharper. Okay. So like, I'm not trying to like call myself some like purist or I, I'm not, I'm not good for the market. I got or like in, in some ways. So like I, the, and the reason I say that is I see people out there telling, saying to sell in, in this sense, in, in this example, why would you release this, you know, so early or why would you do that? These same people are literally selling picks on other sites or doing content or information. It's like they're, they're choosing to do, get paid to do, you know, the same thing that he's doing. It's sales monetizing it in a different way. He's putting this shit out there for free so that he can build an audience. And he's done a phenomenal job of it. He's got a massive audience. On, honestly, the guy, it's really impressive from a business point of view. He's got a huge audience on Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. He's got six figures of followers in all of those places, which go go ahead and try to find people that have done that. It's very, it's very hard to do. Bro, completely uh, agree. You know how hard it is to build up Instagram on sports betting? It's fucking nuts. Yeah, nobody's nobody's big on Instagram on sports betting. Like Twitter, Twitter is a better community for it. But this guy's crushed uh, TikTok and IG as well. Well, he he DM'd me personally after that thread, and we went back and forth on it. And at the end of the day, in going, this is just my perspective on it. I'm not going to share the entire thread, but I got the impression that he's he is feels that he's putting great content out there. He doesn't feel like he's doing any harm to the community. In my opinion, he's not a subject matter expertise, uh, or not a subject matter expert that thinks he is a subject matter expert. And that's where I personally have an issue with what's what's going out there, because I think of, you know, 17-year-old Rob, if Twitter existed at that time, that would have saw that thread, and probably when the lines opened up, I would have bet the over on everything because I didn't know any better. That's what I find to be dangerous about that. But in, in terms of building an audience, if that's his sole goal, then he's accomplishing it really well. Right. And that's and that's where I think the, the, the point of debate is very legitimate is you can argue. I, I don't think you can argue. Why are you releasing this now? Because because he wants to. OK, that's what he wants to do. He wants to get millions of views on Twitter, which he got from that, by the way. OK, the part that I completely agree with is that if you're just pushing out all these bets that are like, in my opinion, not good bets. I mean, again, I'm not like going to. How do we even know they're good one. bets? There's no, they, he didn't even have a bet or a number attached to it. To exactly. But like some of them may have been good bets by the end. Like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't like follow exactly where the lines closed. And I didn't, I didn't see, you know, I can't sit here and say for sure that was bad information. And some of them I can, like there was like a, the Devin Singletary, like he's going to go over 153 yards rushing or something. It was like, well, like, like no, that's he, not he said this, right? Like, he said this. He's like, consider this guy needs this. Consider taking his over six and a half receptions. Like at what? At minus 300? At yeah, plus 100? Right. Like it does. But, for but sure. John, like the, 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 like Jordan Love has an incentive, like a playoff, uh, gets like a 500,000 or a million dollar bonus if the Packers make the playoffs. Consider his betting his passing overs. It's like, you don't think making the playoffs is a yeah, same with Baker enough? Mayfield is like the this, same thing. Exactly. Yeah, so it's totally, just, totally anyways, agree. Ahead, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, that that's the part where I think I would not personally be comfortable with that. Then you start to get to the point where is he intentionally doing this or does he just not know any better? And 
I don't, I don't think I really want to say what I, I don't have enough strong enough opinion. So, and I'm not looking to take a shot at him or anything like that. I think that what is good for the algorithm, which is what makes people engage with it is, is that's, what's good for the algorithm is writing it in a way it's not going to be good to be like, don't take all these bets because there's no price. And by the way, they're probably not any good. Like who's going to click on that. So like I, it would his stick work if it was like done in a, a perfectly, you know, um, careful way the way that like we try to say things whenever we're trying to talk about something we're just trying to be careful about like not misleading someone i don't think it would work but we're in a different business like we're serving the high end of the market people that are willing to pay hundreds of dollars or more potentially for products and he's serving people that are scrolling on twitter looking for a sweat you know just a one one small change that i've i've been because i thought about this a lot i actually i kind of feel bad at first i didn't feel bad for going after him we're dming back and forth it's very clear to me that I don't think he has malintent, and that's important. Now, there's that doesn't make it right again. Like I, th- I think if you're producing uh, content that I personally deem to be harmful, and I can voice my opinion on that just like anyone else can, um, then I'm in, I'm in my right to go about that. But that thread could have just been structured as, here are the incentives, here's what I project the player at for this week in terms of his passing yards or his receiving yards or his rushing yards. And then somebody can make an informed decision afterwards if they want to go out and bet that or not. Um, small little change, right? And probably still gets the same amount of interaction. Even still, I, I question that because then there's like, you know, I guess if you put out like, here's what I think the medians are for this week, you know, you have to convert the projections if you're doing a mean projection. And like, it just gets to be really nuanced where the content just starts to suck if you if you like care about that. So that's why like like for us, like we don't put a ton of like, our good content is mostly behind the paywall. It's just like, we just, we're on shows where where there's data people are using, there's picks, whatever it is. It's just hard to do that stuff in the the most credible and accurate way in that type of format. The the way we've structured like this podcast, like the audience of this podcast, like it has to be like you guys listening at home. Like I know there's a lot of sharp betters in here that are actually smart people. But even with that, like the amount of times that I've just seen us post content or something like that, that just gets like completely interpreted the wrong way, even in the style that we provide it. It's very, very uh, obvious as to why he writes it like that. That's what works. That's what's going to gain. Like, as you mentioned, Taylor, that's going to gain the most interaction. And by the way, people ate that shit up. Like you wouldn't believe on the incentives. I personally got, I mean, listen, I get a bunch of messages every week. Like what to bet this is this. We all do from the podcast, whatever, but I probably got at least like maybe, 18 messages this week on like, oh, am I taking this? Where can I bet Jadavion Clowney to get a sack? This guy's guaranteed to get a sack. Like, where can I bet him over half a sack? And like, congrats, he got it. Yeah, got it. Like, yeah. it doesn't oh, yeah. even it doesn't really matter because they didn't even care about the price. They're just like, get me the bet on Clowney to get a sack. I know he's gonna get it. And it's like, well, what if that was priced at minus three fifty? You don't even know. And by the way, with these incentives things, it's just one little thing. But all of this shit, it's like, okay. Two years ago, three years ago, maybe it was an edge. Two years ago, it's a little bit less. Then, like, literally for sure, guaranteed 1 million percent this year, it was absolutely not an edge. You had FanDuel Sportsbook posting a section of the site saying player incentives. It was like all the guys exactly on the incentives. Someone priced those out. 
In fact, I, I would actually argue that it was an edge betting the opposites of the incentives this year. So, XR, okay. Yeah. My well, bad. I don't mean that it wasn't an edge because still FanDuel could have mispriced those and right. you could have found an edge on that. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying just blindly doing the incentives is no longer a, a money printing. Uh, oh, for sure. And we posted an article covering the incentives. We've done this for at least a few years. I don't know exactly how long, but we actually posted it, whether it was on Twitter or on the article, I can't remember, certainly in the content, like the audio content, that we don't think there's an edge in this right now. But we're going to still give it to you for DFS, for example. It's, it's worth knowing, like, because it's going to change the, the projection for some of these players. And, like, the market is going to capture that price, with, you know, correctly. But, like, in the DFS salaries might not, for, as one example. I will say, too, I, I, it's not that I don't think there's an edge. It's that I think it's very nuanced. Like, you know, some of these guys, or the teams are very clearly focused on it. Some of the, like, the sack one, he's not, Clowney's not just going to automatically get a sack because he really wants to try. The other team's not going to just let him go get a sack. But there are guys that, like, I'm trying to think of a specific example, like someone that might need, like, three catches or something like that, or two catches that's a decent player. They're, they're going to get him that incentive unless he gets hurt. You know, like, th those types of things. So so there is still some nuance to it, but it's it's not what it once was. Well, there's even more nuance to it because some teams will just pay out the incentive even if it's not met in the final game. Wait, didn't they, they who, did, who did they convert their incentive anyways pregame? Pre uh, I don't, you I don't tweeted know. about it. I don't. I didn't tweet about it. This oh, okay. But so it's so. happened in the past before, where teams just come out right before the game and say, "Yeah, we're, we're going to pay out the incentive regardless," because they don't want it to be a distraction and affect the actual way that the, the team is playing the game. But I, I, I will say this one, and not that I bet this, but knowing this after the fact, Deontay Hardy on the Bills had an incentive that he need if he got his p average punt return yards for the season above twelve. And he fielded that punt at the two-yard line. And I'm like, you moron, why would you field this punt? At the and then as I'm saying that, he takes it to the house. He definitely ran that back because of the incentive. I'll, I'll call that right now. Fair enough. Fair enough. You think, do, you think they, do you think they let him do that? Do you think they told him that's okay? To do what? To field to, it at the two-yard line and run it back? No, no this chance. Is a win. To, to win the division game. To win the division game. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, that, like, I, 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 didn't, I wasn't watching that game. So oh, I, I, that punch yeah. should have been over his head and in the end zone. The, special, the, should be the special teams coach, if he was holding a clipboard, he threw it to the floor once that punt was And then caught. picked it back and up picked it back and up started high five. Yeah. yeah. As he was coming. No, yeah, that, was, that was interesting stuff for I, sure. Uh, Taylor, I, uh, another tough topic here, but I want to get into it because uh, we had Ed Golden on for episode number 100 of uh, CEO of Right Angle Sports. Um, we've talked about Right Angle Sports a lot on, the, on this pod. One of the very common criticisms of them is that, yeah, they do really well. Their records are solid over years, but nobody can get these lines or very few people can get these lines. Uh, and some people will just go out and flat out say, well, it's a fake record because you know, these lines don't don't really exist in real life. Uh, the detractors, I think, of a lot of the prop picks that ETR gives out um, is that some of the selections are made off of um, maybe openers that are less widely available uh, or the numbers just move fairly quickly. So personally for you, how do you guys like balance this internally? Uh, has there been any, any conversation about this in terms of how you track your record? I, I'm just curious to, to hear your input on this. Yeah, for sure. No, we've talked extensively about it. And honestly, I think the better criticism is that our record isn't that great this year. We, 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 I, 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 we, our ROI uh, for NFL this year is like 0.88% on the season, which is uh, previous years has been, you know, uh, double digits in some years and certainly high single digits. So if anybody's, I haven't heard a single person talk about like, openers or there, I actually did see someone say something about it, but it was clear someone, they don't know what they're talking about. The real criticism is 
how is this product performing in today's market? Like, I think that's, I would say the same thing if I was a customer or just an observer. Um, and, and the answer, my short answer to that is like, I don't know, as everybody knows, the market is evolving and like it's, you have to adapt to stay ahead, put out 450 picks on the NFL season. You know, what's your, you know, if you have a, I don't know, five to 7% ROI, it's well within the range of outcomes to have a 1%, you know, the uh, season. Like, so, so this is a total aside from what I, the, the question, but that's the criticism that I would be lobbying out there if I was trying to criticize the product. The second thing is on the actual, on those criticisms, we released the, the bets like later in the week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the vast majority of the bets uh, for, for props are out widely available. We have, and like widely available could be a debated topic, but for us, it's like FanDuel. If it's on FanDuel, it's considered widely available. We, we focus on like domestic, like regulated books. So like, if it's FanDuel, it's considered regu- widely available. If it's like a couple others, like say DraftKings and like Caesars or, you know, like, like it'd have to be at least a few of the other books in order to be considered widely available. Um, and then we monitor like offshore stuff, but it's not considered like part of the service because we just keep it to regulated books. So we try to make it widely available because that's in our interest. Like it's in our interest to have people be able to get the bets. If they can't get the bets, like why are they going to subscribe to the product? So, so yeah. So yeah. in your opinion, just be. Uh, with the FanDuel example, it might only be at one sports book, but because it's in so many households, essentially, and there's so many people with accounts there that you you would consider that as being a widely available number. I, I would for our for our purposes. And also FanDuel's, te- it, this is kind of nuanced, but like, like it, it tends to not just be available at FanDuel. Like if it's available at FanDuel, it tends to be more available, uh, available elsewhere. And they take the most, ag- again, this could, this could differ depending on exactly who you are and where you're betting, but like they tend to take more money it's just considered a good, they tend to move the lines less quickly. Like there's just, it's just a better experience for getting money down on FanDuel. So uh, I would say, yeah, I, I, but I, but honestly, like we want people to succeed with the subscription. We, we don't, we, we, if you don't, we tell people all the time. We, and, and I will say one, one more thing. We only offer weekly subscriptions to our prop service. We, we do not offer a full season subscription because we don't want anybody to feel like they paid for a subscription and they don't get they, they got limited or they got they, they can't get the bets fast enough or they're not winning whatever the reason is just cancel the subscription if you don't like it it's not for you that's totally understandable you know you you, you only have paid for one week at a time and we give people a refund if they're upset about it like just just give them their money back like that, that that's that's how it goes and um the other thing is too with the subscription you get access to the projections you get access to the discord there's tons of other stuff beyond just the picks so we've tried to make it like more than just you know, hey, here's picks. Like, even though that is a big part of what people do want. You heard it here, guys. If you just sign a free TR and cancel. After first week, demand a refund. There you go. That's how you get ETR for free. Just, You'll give uh, your money back. Yeah, we will. Just, give you your money just, back. Just kidding, but no, for real, honestly, yeah, tra- check check out the product. Um, you know, I've been on the site multiple uh, multiple different occasions. I Like I, I said, I actually used to use ETR for fantasy back in the day when I uh, thought I had a, when I actually did have a season-long fantasy edge with my friends was the back-to-back champ back uh, back in the day. Now, I think I'm nine years in a row losing money. I actually just wrote in our league chat the other day. I go, boys, with absolute pain, I'm saying this right now, I have officially lost my edge in season-long fantasy. And all time, I'm now in the red in profits, or losses, actually, from my fantasy season. I said, I'm not, I'm not dropping out. I'm not going anywhere. But I've, I'm admitting to myself, I'm now just gambling with no edge in this fantasy league. I would, have never, the- I would have never thought that with the way that I come into the office and hear Dude. you talking usually on, uh, 
There's only fantasy so, weekend. Only so many Monday mornings, only so many Tuesday mornings where you can lose a fantasy week and then say you got unlucky. And before blame it you, on an injury or somebody else. Before you just admit that you have no more edge in fantasy, uh, in sure. fantasy football. So, Johnny, yeah. it, it might be time to re-up that ETR sub I, uh, next next August. No, straight up, I'm back on ETR for next year's fantasy league. If a lot of people from my league listen, boys, I'm coming. 2024 is my year. That's it. I'm calling it. It starts with this year's playoff draft. That determines the waiver order for next year. I'm gonna win the playoff pool first waiver. It's over, boys. My we, year. We've we've got playoff fantasy rankings if you're interested too. So it's a it's a unique yeah. pool. Okay, you know what? There you go. I'm going to go play off fantasy. Is it for player pools or, or like? What, I don't know what player, what's, 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 what's player pools. Like you just draft all of the players in like a regular fantasy. You just draft all the players and then your roster is your roster throughout. So yeah, for sure. We have the projected. So there's a couple, I mean, I'm sure you know this, but like the most important thing is like, uh, well, it's, if you're playing games, just a, games like, played, right? Like games. Yeah. Played, games played. But like, I was thinking it's like 12 people in the league, right? Yeah, it's, it's not a like 12, a it's not like a big tournament or something like twelve team league. I got ten overall. Help me out here. Like obviously, yeah. McCaffrey's first overall. But am I gonna go like stack? I got to stack one team. But who am I gonna grab? See, this thing tenth overall. I, I, I would probably consider the Cowboys um, if you could. I mean, Lamb will be gone by the time you pick. Um, but they're Lamb pre- and I'm, Dak I'm, will probably both be gone. So then I'm the third team taking the Cowboys. I'm gonna net out with like Pollard, and then on the way back I'm gonna get like Brandon Aubrey. That's gonna be my team. It's not not it's not gonna be a good. <laughs> That's start. not great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm looking up uh, who we've got like tenth here. Um, you'd probably be looking at some something like Pacheco, Diggs, Lamar Jackson, Gibbs. Um, yeah, that's. That's that's who's coming in that range. Oh, I, um, I am not. I am not looking forward to tomorrow night. Let's just say that. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not in good shape. Especially, I don't want the Chiefs. I might. Maybe I go Lions. I go. I go Lion. Lion. If if I'm on Ra's there, and then I take like I'm on Ron Gibbs. I know. Yeah. You you want to go for the for the uh, the the games, but if Debo is there at that spot, I think it's possible. And just double up San Fran Debo Purdy if he doesn't. It, it literally like I can't even project for this right now. I need I need to see like who's going. Debo Ayuk back to back and you just who who are you avoiding right now taylor who what i mean you avoid are you taking any eagles guys out the window look it just depends on where they're going i mean like like the eagles are what three point favorites this weekend like everybody's like acting like they're they can't possibly win a few games because i mean it's looked pretty bad obviously but like how, what if what if these guys are going in like the i don't know fourth round or something you know like it's very possible they have especially because they have some actually really good fantasy players um if if they're healthy and playing you know as they normally do so yeah, I don't know. I mean, should I'll just send you these rankings after this after this uh, podcast. You can look at them. But like, I, I appreciate you. Thank you. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to fixate on this too much. I promise. We'll move on to another topic. But you talked about the results for ETR this year, right? Um, as a better, we all have like bad years, down years. For me personally, I'm just speaking from my own experience. This is like the most stressful moments in my entire life, right? Where you're used to turning a certain ROI over the course of multiple years, and now all of a sudden you don't. What's the next step for you guys, Taylor, in the offseason? Is there like a full postmortem? How do you guys evaluate the results as a team and move forward from that? Yeah, that's a great question. It's already really kind of begun. Like we've had some discussions. Oh, it's ongoing. I mean, we're never not thinking about it. But um, I would say coming together, and there's a lot of analysis that can be looked, and we're doing this already, but like, 
comparing how our projections are doing to the market. Like, and, and that's the part that's been so frustrating is if you look at our projections, like we track all of our projections compared to closing lines and how those, and, and what's that showing? You know, like if, if we're showing an edge, how is that performing? And overall it's been performing fine. Like, you know, so there's like, a, in theory, a ton of bets that we just didn't take or that we were close to taking and, 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 and did better than our results have done. So that's one indication that maybe we're running bad. But honestly, I couldn't, like, other than to say that we take it seriously and we understand that, like, you can't just chalk things up to variance. Like, no no real better is ever just going to, when they're losing, just think that their process can't be improved. So it's to get together with the guys that are doing the analytics and and get together with the guys that are actually, you know, there's, there's analytics guys. There's, like, sort of more, like, uh, trade. I don't want to say traders. It's not, it's not really that, but it's like the guys actually sort of making the the, the an, anal, an analyst, you know, and having discussions about what research we need to do, what can be improved on the process. You know, there's been some discussion of like perhaps maybe we need to release more picks earlier because we certainly have so many picks every week that are we see them and then they're just gone because like by the time the, it's totally widely available, like the the price isn't any good anymore. So perhaps we need to have a subscription that's for people that have outs at DraftKings, you know, as an example, you know, and like have other books that like, you know, not everybody's able to get because they get limited. This is like getting way into the weeds, but like, as long as you're honest with, with customers about what the product is and what they can expect, like, I think you just have to be open-minded as a business owner and, and try to make something work. And, and the truth is maybe nothing does work and we eventually don't do it. So I don't know. We'll see. Fair enough. So for those of you who don't, who've never, um, you know, heard of Taylor or anything before. Obviously he doesn't appear on much of the content with an ETR, even though you might've seen his business partners do so. But uh, I consider Taylor to be extremely sharp when it comes to the business game, just um, you know, managing relationships in business as well as managing the company. So Taylor, what we want to ask you for the listeners here is um, a little bit of entrepreneurial advice, actually. Like what advice would you give to anyone who's an aspiring entrepreneur looking to enter anything maybe gaming related? Yeah, so the thing that I always tell people is like focus on a niche like be really really good at something and then build out from that as opposed to like here's all the things i'm gonna do and like here's my two-year plan or even my like six-month plan at the beginning might not even really might be too long have an edge at something like and you got you got i, I don't know what it is obviously it depends on you for me it was poker and then it was dfs and then over time, you know, you start to add like pieces to the to the puzzle, right? And like like build, you know, hire people or partner with people or whatever. But if you can't come in and articulate where is it that you can out compete other people, and it could be on sale, you know, if it's like say, just you're a really good people person, you, you're really good at sales, you could start by selling the same thing someone else is selling, but just doing a better job of it. Like that, hell, that's how Billy Walters got it. Like, at least in his book, that's what he said. Like, you know, he was selling cars and and making a ton of money, and then losing at betting and then eventually figured it out with betting. But like, I would just say have an edge and focus on that niche and then build from there as opposed to trying to do too much at once. That's the G stack George story right there. Car, <laughs> car salesman turned better. Some people still claim he's a, a no stacks, George, no stacks, George source of income, still unknown, still but. unknown. Um, any like specific lessons that, you know, you learned along the way, whether it be with either of your startups. Yeah, I would say, so, I mean, there's a lot I'm trying, like the one I always focus on, and I kind of just said it before is not doing too much. When I, when things went off the wire, the rails for me, like when I was with draft day, 
I was trying to do card runners at the same time. We also own, there's a poker software product called Holden Manager. People are familiar in Poker Tracker is another one that we own. So like I was trying to do, well, at the time we didn't own Poker Tracker, but like I was trying to do too much. I was trying to play poker. I was trying to have a social life. And, you know, you're just not going to be that good at anything if you're doing too many things at once. So like that, that is the thing that I always say is just like focus on what you know and try to do it really well. Say no to most things. Most things are not good opportunities. To, and then just just really, really keep your eyes focused on on what matters. Um, that's what I try to do. I would also say like reputationally, just like really, I, I'm really careful about who I associate with and 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 like, not that not like associate with, but like going to business with or like, like I'll hang out with anybody or whatever. But like, it's not like I'm, I'm not going to go into a business venture with someone that I think is like, dishonest or even if it's a good opportunity i just i'm not gonna like settle on that front and like i think that like i've had situations in the past where people i was working with were doing things that that i didn't agree with and i didn't even know about it in some cases and it just looks it makes you look bad and like if you just have a really high bar for getting into business with somebody or doing anything then it's gonna work out for you in the long run all right. On the same topic here, we're, we'll close off. We, uh, you know, you are a listener of the show and we appreciate your support. But um, that being said, do you have a, did you prepare your plus EV negative EV move of the week? Oh, you bet I did. Right. Um, this so is going to be good. I, I'm a little shy about this one, but like the plus EV move of the week. Have you guys heard of uh, an acupressure mat? Do you know what that is? Yes, I do. The producer Zach. Yeah. yeah. Zach, my man, are you are you in or, or what? Um, are you, you I just have not I just know what it is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. So I am not like a like acupuncture again. This is acupressure, but it's like related to acupuncture, where they like stick needles in you and, and somehow it helps. Um, my wife does acupuncture or is a customer of a place and saw this mat that like they were selling and basically what it is is you lay on this mat with like small it's almost like spikes that like go into your your back or your legs or whatever you're laying on it and she got it for me just on a a whim and i was very skeptical of it but i tried it out because she got it for me you lay on it and you just like relax for like 10 20 minutes or whatever and like honestly the first time i ever did it like within five minutes i was like holy crap i'm like so freaking relaxed right now and I, i was like this is maybe it's a placebo effect like you know whatever so I started reading about it and like there, it apparently like can release dopamine slash reduce or increase circulation slash I don't have like like back pain or anything like that. So like some people say it for that. But for me, it's just like after like 20 minutes of laying on it, I'm so relaxed. So I do it like before I go to bed, to bed at night. Um, I track my sleep too. And I've noticed a difference in like the, the metrics if I use it or if I don't use it. I feel great. So Check out the acupuncture pressure mat, and also this is not medical advice. So Yo, send us uh, send us your affiliate link. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing. I got no skin in the game, um, and I'm not a doctor. So talk to your doctor. But yeah, I I, I can't tell you how much I love the analytical approach. Yeah, though, sleep better. Your sleep, it's it's uh, it's brilliant. So you're putting forth a recommendation that's you know you've backed with uh, your own experience. Hey, guys like us, we we can't stop doing that though. Like once you do that for certain things, you just can't stop. Like Pizzola. Cabby, he he tracks his strokes gain putting approach whatever and he sh- he shoots in the 90s it's the only guy i know to track his strokes gain putting cuz i want to know where i need to improve the most i like know, I, I, know I know but that's what i'm saying it's a good it's a good thing yeah. it's not even it's it's a chirp whatever but it's a good thing uh, okay great plus cv move i actually will check that out cuz i'm 
starting to get back pain, even though I'm still the youngest man alive, but holy, am I getting some back pain? I gotta be, uh, I gotta be working on that. Uh, negative EV move of the week. The negative EV move of the week is, um, not considering that the online, um, what you're seeing online, there's a selection bias towards pessimism. So everything that we're seeing consuming, like it, the stuff that rises to the top of social media or, or media in general, has a generally a negative or pessimistic tone with with the, like where things are going in the world, what's the wrong with the world, what's going to happen, whatever it, what's happening, and that is the stuff that gets more engagement. It's better business, to, to, in, generally speaking, to run that. And I think it's like proliferating throughout the world. And people are like, when you're online, you're scrolling, and you're like, wow, like how bad is everything right now? Or even it's tempting to like join in and like pile on because that's whatever that's what you're seeing all the time. But I think that avoiding that trap of falling to ends of pessimism and trying to stay optimistic is, I, I don't know, is that, if, that's, if that's actually minus EV, you know, there's a debate of is that avoiding a plus EV, I don't know, whatever. It, that's, it's minus EV to be too pessimistic. So just, just consider what you're saying. Yes. Okay. That's, that's a good one as well, especially on social media now. From a, from a content perspective, because we're in the content business, uh, you'll notice like if you go to YouTube, the videos that are like, don't do these things, always vastly outweigh the do these five like do don't do these three things and you'll be a great sports better always outweigh do these three things and and that kind of explains it but i think generally speaking people are gravitated towards negativity, the negativity. they they really are yeah. i got a i got a positive even move of the week here it's when you have a massive win in sports betting whether it doesn't have to be dollar it could be dollar value wise could be just like a really a cool win that you watch maybe you're at the game and something came through for you, player prop over first touchdown score or whatever, get, buy a token of appreciation for that for like a little wall, all right? There's no better move. You buy, oh, whatever, I just, oh, I can't believe I got this first touchdown score. It doesn't have to be anything expensive. Buy a jersey. Go online, get a, get a, get a cheap jersey of that player. Frame it on the wall. Put a little note. Maybe a ticket, a picture of the bet slip. And then you you will thank me. One day you will be coming and it also make it so more enjoyable. Like, wow, remember when I cashed this bet? Oh, remember when I cashed this bet? You're the only one who's going to care about it, but it's going to make you so happy. It's a mega plus EV move. I've done that same thing, but I've taken the opposite negative approach and I've put all the bad beats I've ever suffered. <laughs> behind, right behind, behind the thing. Yeah, don't be, <laughs> don't be too negative. Don't be too negative. But uh, actually a great move. And honestly, even if you just write them all down, because you, you, people don't write down enough good shit that happens to them and just look back on it. One thing, I haven't used Snapchat in a number of number of years, but one thing that they did do was they just randomly, when you open the app, will send you like a Snapchat memory, usually something cool. Like, hey, remember this time three years ago you did this? And it's like, wow, that was sick. We don't do that enough, man. That's a way to get dopamine hits and just have more fun. Yep, I'm with you. I'll For sure, you. well said. Yeah. All right, uh, Rob, final question. Uh, if you could go back five years and talk to a previous version of yourself, what advice would you give to your former self? So the, the two th two parts to this, the first would certainly be focused on health and fitness more. Um, I, I've become very cognizant or oriented towards health and fitness over the last, I'd say, one to two years. And I just have come to believe that it's much more important than I previously thought. And And like, it's almost like becoming trendy now, I feel like too, but like, it's not for that reason. It's just, I just want to live a healthy and long, you know, a healthy life. It really is the best way to say it. 
it's not easy to do that when you're gambling and or when you're in this industry or in any industry, really. It's just it's very difficult. So get focused on that. It's like, you know, try to eat right, try to get to the gym, things like that. That's that's what I would say to myself five years ago. For for ETR specifically, we didn't really know when what the site would become. I mean, it's been great. We've been super, super happy with where it is. But when we started it, it was just like a WordPress site. It still is just a WordPress site with no mind, with no thinking about like laying the right front, the best front framework for like growth. And and like, it's just a lot harder when you, if you're not, you know, I said before earlier, don't think too far, just do niche, do one thing really well. But at the same time, you can make decisions that can kind of hamstring yourself like to, to for growing. And like, we've, we're dealing with some growing pains, trying to think through the, you know, reorgan, redoing our site or, or things like that. And I, I wish I had just spent a little more time thinking about less about the content and more about that that aspect of things. His name is Taylor Cabby. You can follow him on Twitter at Taylor Cabby. Make sure you check out Establish the Run, establishtherun.com. Taylor, very much appreciate you joining us today. And of course, all of you out there, if you did enjoy this interview, you made it this far, you might as well smash the like button down below. Make sure you're subbed here on Circles Off. We'll catch everyone next week. This has been Circles Off. Episode number 136, part of the Hammer Betting Network, presented by Pinnacle Sportsbook. Enjoy your week, everyone.